Hi, and welcome to Where the White Coats Come Off podcast. We are Katie and Beth, PAs and doctors in medical science on a mission to help you get accepted into PA school. So if you are a pre-PA, you are in the right place. We have spent years working at PA programs and on the admissions committee at PA schools, which means we were the ones reviewing CASPA apps and deciding who to interview, interviewing and deciding who to accept. So get ready for some solid advice and mentoring to help you get into PA school. Before we get started, we want to tell you a little bit about our background and why we started this. During our years working at PA schools, we saw so many applicants that made mistakes on their CASPA apps and in their interviews that cost them a seat or an entire cycle, if not several cycles. We don't want this to be you. There is so much noise out there about how to apply to PA school, and we saw so many candidates take bad advice and because of this, missed out on starting PA school. Beth and I hated seeing this, so we started Pre-PA Clinic and this podcast. Now, between our application to acceptance course, private coaching packages, CASPA app editing, and everything in between, we get to make sure you are the most competitive, strongest candidate so you can start your dream career. The PA profession needs you and your future patients need you, so let's go and get into today's episode. Catherine Reed, thank you so much for coming to join us on our podcast. To get started, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, My name is Catherine Reed. I am a PA. I graduated from the University of Pittsburgh in 2016, which seems really long ago, but it's really not. Um, And I worked in family practice initially and then in internal medicine for a little bit, well, for three and a half years, which seems like a little bit if you're a millennial, it seems like forever, forever, but um, I did that for a while and then actually just transitioned to academia in September of 2021. So now I work at the University of Pittsburgh as faculty for their program and their vice chair for equity, inclusion, and community engagement. I'm also the president and founder of the National Society of Black Physician Assistants, but very busy. Um, Don't be like me, sleep, rest, do all of those things. (laughs) Awesome. Well, can you tell us a little bit about why you got into diversity and why it's important to the healthcare profession? Sure, of course. So I remember being one of maybe four or five people of color in my PA program. And during that time, you're just trying to make it, right? Uh, but there was lots of imposter syndrome happening for me. And so I remember looking around and just feeling like I shouldn't be here. I don't have the same qualifications as everyone here. Though, of course, they don't really let you in the door unless you have all of those, the right qualifications, right? Um, but sometimes that gets lost, especially for black and brown students, African-Americans, people of color. Um, and so I really, Struggled with that a bit, but then kind of just started drowning, just like everyone else in case school realized we were all drowning. And so that was um, a nice shared experience. But I did begin my second year when I was when we were doing our clinical rotations, begin to have some interactions with preceptors. Um, then I would consider microaggressions more about my natural hair. It was 2016, so there was a pretty contentious election year happening, and so there was a lot going on um, outside of the program walls that was impacting my experience, I think, with just the greater Pittsburgh community and the communities in general that we were interacting with. And so I I had those experiences. I kept it pushing because as a person of color, you rarely want to be the squeaky wheel um, because if you're the only one and you're the squeaky wheel, uh, that kind of feels like a target on your back, though I don't think that would have been the case at Pitt. It was just a feeling that I had and a perception that I had. I kind of persevered, pushed through, made it to the other side, gratefully, <laughs> and ended up graduating and passing my pants and then went back to the program a couple of months after I'd been practicing clinically and said, hey, just as an FYI, I had some of these experiences and the more that I thought about them, the more I'm realizing that 
maybe we should have a conversation about what that looks like for Pitt and what that looks like overall. Um, and I'm very grateful for the University of Pittsburgh's folks in general, faculty and staff. I mean, I wouldn't work for them if I didn't believe in their mission. Um, and when I came back to them and said, hey, these are some of the things that shaped my experience and, and who I am as a person, they were really receptive to that. And I think that that, is, that goes a long way, right? That's kind of how I ended up working for them and doing a diversity piece. Um, but it also helped me brainstorm a bit about what I wanted to do outside of the program walls um, when it came to diversity within the PA profession. And as a kind of caveat to that is I got my 200-hour registered yoga teacher training certification during that time, right? <laughs> and it was wonderful. It was based in Pittsburgh. It's Yoga Roots on Location, which is led by a Black woman. Um, and it's social justice framework. And so we had lots of conversation about um, trauma and about kind of unlearning some of the perceptions and, and framework that were put in place. That conversation that I was having with my yoga, my yogis and, and the teachers that I had in that space really resonated and helped me understand my relationship to my own racial background and ethnic background. My mother's white, my father's black. We, you know, we have, and my brother-in-law is white and is a police officer. We have lots of very interesting dynamics within, you know, at our kitchen table. And so I've been really lucky to have lots of conversations around race and, and perceptions and kind of seeing the other side of the coin in a, in a lot of ways. And so it was a unique perspective and I had lots of that going into the conversation with Pitt. Um, but I kind of said, hey, I, it's just me and maybe three other people from our program. And I knew two other black PAs only because they went to the University of Pittsburgh for undergrad with me, and now they're at two different PA programs, and they're having similar experiences. So I don't think it's just me perceiving it this way, but it might be, but tell me if I'm wrong. And Dave Beck, who at that point was the program director of the residential program and is now, I think, the chair of the department, basically was like, yes, that your lived experience is reflective of a larger problem. Maybe we should start talking about that. And so I kind of brainstormed the NSBPA, came back to them with all of that. And after about two and a half, three years of lots of work and developing resources and making sure that I wasn't, you know, keeping my blinders on and that this was a need that most or some people at least felt that was needed in our community, uh, we launched in January of 2020. Sorry, that was a bit of a tangent, but you get probably the gist a little bit there. <laughs> you have an amazing background and what you're doing is amazing. So with the NSBPA, what is the primary message that you want to get out to the world and to our listeners? And, and what, do, what do you offer for our listeners? Sure, that's a great question. So our goal with the NSBPA is really to have the PA profession reflect the diversity that's found in our world, right? And we know it doesn't really do that right now. We know that Black PAs make up about 3.3% of the population of PAs. Hispanic PAs make up about at least 6%. And then I think it's Native Americans or American yeah, Indians are about 0.4%, right? We're just not doing a great job when you look at those numbers as compared to U.S. Census data. And so when we're thinking about that and you're thinking about the barriers that are in place for people of color in this country from a structural and system perspective, we can't attack everything at once. I wish I could, but I think I would probably drown, just like most of us would. Um, and so the NSBPA's primary goal is really to start looking at where we can really make a, a large impact. And we know that there are lots of organizations pushing forward, African Heritage PA Caucus, the Physician Assistance of Color Group on Facebook or the PAC, the LGBT Caucus, all the AAPA caucuses and special interest groups. We know that those exist and we're all kind of pushing in the same direction. And so some of the things that we decided to offer that are a little bit different than some of the things that are out there were students were asking us for virtual shadowing. They were asking us for shadowing because it was COVID, right? And they couldn't find shadowing experiences. And a lot of them didn't have access to black and brown PAs 
in general, right, in their geographic region, because if there's 3.3% of us, we're all over scattered across the U.S., likelihood is that they're not going to be your neighbor, right, or you're not going to know them well. Um, and so our goal is really to be bring some of those PAs to their front door or to their Zoom screen. And so since 2020, every other month, we've had a different provider from across the U.S. We typically have between 100 and 250 pre-PA students from across the country log in, ask questions in real time, walk through a case with a PA, and it's just a good way to get some exposure and to really begin to understand what the PA role is within healthcare and kind of get, get them a little bit closer to visualizing themselves in those spaces. Because sometimes it's hard if you don't see yourself represented there, right? We know that representation really matters. And so even if it's on a screen, we think there's a lot um, of value added with that. And no, not all programs accept virtual shadowing hours. There are some that do. And we're trying to like even the playing field as much as possible. And so if we can do that with virtual shadowing, we'll continue it forever. We have a lovely group of volunteer folks who are like, yes, I'll do it. Yes, I'll do it. And I love them all very much for it and sharing their time and energy and expertise with these students. And I learn something every time I try to log in and I'm always like, I'll facilitate, I'll facilitate. Because <laughs> I just want to learn more from my peers. But um, that's one of the offerings that we have that I'm always really excited about. And we also started a mentorship program in 2020, which was another big ask from our pre-PA grouping. They were essentially saying, we don't know anybody <laughs> to the same point, right? We don't know anybody that, that is a PA that looks like us. How do we get there? I've never heard of a PA before, which was my lived experience. I didn't know what a PA was until I was an undergrad. And so I had to do a lot of 21 credit hour semesters at the end of my education when everyone else was relaxing to try to get all of those classes, right? Because we know pre-med does not equal pre-PA in most programs or most schools, right? So the goal is to really eliminate some of those barriers, right? I know what I had to struggle with, taking out money from our classes, just not knowing what I wanted to do, right? There are three plus two programs, if you know, really early within programs and that can save you some money, right? We're just trying to find ways to eliminate those barriers. And so the mentorship program, we structured as family style. So there are typically two practicing PAs, maybe one PA student, and then between four and six pre-PAs from hopefully the same geographic region. That's what we try for or do our best. And our goal with that is really to structure it in a way, A, so that everyone gets a benefit, right? So uh, the mentors or the, the PACs, are hearing what's happening, they get to engage with the younger generation and hopefully build relationships that sustain um, long-term and they can bring them on you know, as, as staff or as faculty, wherever they might be working later on to kind of develop and increase the diversity in their workforce and work pool. But then you have the PA students who are intimately familiar with TASPA um, and have just undergone it and know PA school very, very well as compared to some of us PACs on the other side that might be a little bit older um, and also PA school is a little bit of a black hole for us, um, and so we don't remember it quite as well. And so the PA students are able to give back, and then the pre-PAs will learn a lot from the folks who are a little bit further along in the career, but also are undergoing a lot of the same stressors with TASPA as the other four, three, four folks in their group. And so they develop this really nice camaraderie because they're not competing with each other. They're really working together in this family structure to all attain this goal. And we all, we want all of them to attain that goal. So that was great. 2021, we had, I think, 60 uh, mentors and about 120 PA students, pre-PA students. This year we have 90 mentors, 190 PA pre-PA students. So many. So many. Um, it's great. We love it. This is why it's a full-time job on the side of my other full-time jobs. Um, but it's great, and it's really exciting. My mentorship family from last year, 
was fantastic. I got to co-mentor with a PA from Michigan who I never would have met, and all of my students were from all over. Uh, two of them are going to PA school. One is applying again, and two of them are were a little bit younger and are deciding to hold off, but it's just so exciting, and they very much credit what we did as a group, both for their emotional support throughout the process, but also, you know, personal statement, review, and kind of demystifying CASPA and trying to take some deep breaths as we as we work through the process together and interviews, mock interviews. Um, there's just a lot of value and we'll continue to do the things that our members find valuable. So we always ask them, what do you want to see from us? What do you want us to do? We do like a CASPA prep panel every April. Um, we bring in educators from different programs, different admissions departments, um, and essentially with the goal of just having them there to answer questions for pre-PAs that are, that are about to start. I would say for our PA students and our PACs, what we offer is a little bit different, right? We have job postings and we promote a lot of the CME that the African Heritage PA Caucus presents because duplicating efforts is not smart. And so when you know that someone already has something and their niche is good and it's beautiful, we want to support them. We don't want to have competition. We want their events to be well attended. Um, and so we do a lot of work on that end. And then the PAC actually um, brings together PA programs and works with them to really talk to them about how to ensure that they are having a diverse and inclusive space for students and then bring in cohorts of interested black and brown students to really interact in a more um, intimate level with those programs um, to get a better idea of whether it's a good fit for them for, before applications start. Um, and so we don't offer that service, but they do, right? And so I think there's a lot of value to diversifying what's out there. And in our purposes, it's the goal is to keep it cost neutral. <laughs> Whether or not we'll be able to sustain, sustain that forever is a whole different story. PACs and, and PA students will probably eventually have small prices just so we can continue doing everything that we're doing now and ensuring that we can develop a scholarship fund to take care of some of the other costs associated, right? Some schools still require GREs. So we know that that doesn't equate to success in PA school. I digress. And now, you know, Casper and all the other things. Yeah, yeah, PA cat, yeah, you know, all the things like, oh, we took away a barrier. Let's add two more. Like, why, why are we here? Well, we absolutely love to hear about it. So a couple of thoughts on what you said. One thing you said is that you try and give virtual shadowing um, for students to give them the exposure. And I think that's so important because that's the whole reason why we have people shadow PAs, right? For the exposure to the profession, to different settings, you know, to different specialties. And it makes sense that you want exposure to people with different different ethnicities and different backgrounds and different passions because that's really what the PA field is all about, right? You can kind of make it your own. So I, I love the fact that you're all about like exposure and just showing some students like, yes, you can do it because we have so many students that say, you know, my advisor told me it's really hard and I don't think I can do it. Or, you know, all my friends and family say I'm crazy. Like it's too hard. You're never going to get in. And they don't have this confidence and they don't have anybody that believes in them. And sometimes it's just being exposed to other students who's like, yeah, I was there too, but I did it. You know, I still went through, still apply, still do it your own because no matter what everybody else says, like they don't know, like you can do it and I'm proof. And I think that that like proof of seeing someone like you or someone with a background like you or someone who's in your same situation do it and succeed, it really does give you that motivation because I think we do lose a lot of PPA students before they even get to the application process because of some of these barriers and because of this mental barrier too. They say, you know, I just can't do it. Nobody else believes in me. And so I don't believe in myself either. And there's some confidence we see just 
just goes down and down and down because they're listening to the doubters, right? They're listening to advisors who, again, are trying to give good advice, but they're not PAs, right? They don't know what to expect the PA score. They listen to family and friends who, again, they're not working in healthcare. They don't know what the PA profession is. And so we always try and tell our students, like, hey, listen, like, don't listen to those negative thoughts. Like, you can do it. And so I love the fact that you're giving exposure to people who have. Um, the second thing I really love that you said was you need to make sure the program fits you. And this is one of our main things that we always say. You need to make sure that whatever program you go to fits your background, your experiences, and what you want, right? You're paying so much money and so much of your time and your sweat and your equity and tears and all that <laughs> to go to PA school. And I love that you're really trying to help students find one that is not only going to match like what they want, but also a place that they're going to feel very comfortable in, a place that they're going to feel supported in. Because when you know students who don't feel supported, a lot of times they don't make it through the program, right? And so I, I just love the fact that you're really, really trying to fit like, okay, hey, you need to make sure if this program is going to be someplace that you can feel like you are going to be supported and successful. And so I love that. I know you kind of see it from the PA student side, and now you're seeing it from the faculty side. How are we doing? Like compared to last year, compared to when you were in school, compared to 10 years ago, how, how are we doing with diversity? Are we still um, overcoming some of these barriers? Are we getting better? Like what's your thoughts on that? So I have a comment about what you said, and then I'll dive into that. First thing is tell everyone to stay off of PA blogs. Stay yes. off of Yes. We say that all the time. <laughs> yes. I was like, I'm never going to get in because no one ever gets in. I got in first round, and I was not the, like, optimal cream of the crop person. I had, like, a sign GPA, 3.2. Like, and also, you're supposed to be where you're supposed to be. And so I have so many people that are like, I've applied once, I've applied twice, and I'm like, okay, but we get to apply strategically. You need to get your application on their desk first thing. We need to look at your personal statement 50,000 times until our eyes cross, and then maybe we can send it in after one more review, right? There are just so many things that having somebody on your side can really, as a PA or a mentor who understands PA education, can really change or make or break that, that situation for you. So yes, to all of the things you said, all of that. Um, and also, yes, making sure the program fits you because there's nothing worse I think, than getting into a program that you've worked and worked and worked to get to, and then realizing that the support doesn't exist or that you're so uncomfortable for whatever reason within that program structure or within that area, right? If you relocate your life to a space that you are unfamiliar with and don't take into account the fact that maybe you are in the middle of rural nowhere still and you're used to living in a place with a bit more racial and ethnic diversity and you're like, mm, I feel uncomfortable going to the grocery store, right? Or I feel uncomfortable in these different clinic settings because they don't see people that look like me very often and so I'm having microaggressions happening very frequently. There's so much around that that I try to impart to our student population because those aren't things you think about initially, right? You're just trying to get in, which I also understand. To the point of the question that you actually asked me, which was not anything that I just answered, um, how are we doing? So I would say the intentionality is better. I think that there are places that are putting their money where their mouth is specifically in PA education, which is really important, right? Lots of strategic plans over the last five to 10 years have said DEI, justice, equity, diversity, inclusion, right? But I think more recently there's been, specifically with everything, social justice movements happening throughout the US and, and beyond, um, I think that there's been a, a bigger push for action. Um, and I think that we're seeing that. I'll speak specifically to the University of Pittsburgh because that's what I know really well. We were part of essentially the University of Pittsburgh's PA program applied for and was awarded a cluster hire, which is me. So essentially the university overall 
figured out how to come up with funding for, I think it's 25 or 28 minority folks to come into academia early career, but they help pay for student loans. They give us a research mentor. They do a lot of these things that really support our wellness within a space. And I think specifically for Pitt's PA program, they were like, we have a proposal. We have, we're ready to post this job posting immediately. We're ready to go, right? And they were really on top of it. Outside of that, they had done a lot of work since I graduated in 2016 to begin an inclusion network. And students had come forward and said, we, we want a physician assistant students promoting diversity and inclusion group. So that's now a legitimate group within, within the PA program. And I think there are lots of different um, programs that are that are kind of having that same grassroots effort specifically from the students. And I actually know that for a fact because we have a student diversity initiatives group, which is something I did not mention, um, but quarterly we meet with students and faculty from uh, programs across the country and we sit down and talk because most of the time these students are the one, one of two within their program and they're like, we're trying to push these initiatives ahead by ourselves. Or it's them and one faculty person, right? Um, and so we come together and have conversations about what's working, what's not working, how do we make it work, how can we support you, how can we elevate this issue to AAPA level or PAEA level, and, and how do we ensure that this is not just happening sporadically, little offshoots, like one program here and one program here. I will say that the standards have changed, right, through um, RPA, the accreditation standards, and so now there is a standard specifically to diversity and, and inclusion, which is great, but from some PAs that have been doing this a lot longer than I have, they're like, yeah, we've been working on this for like 15, 20 years, just so you know. And I was like, yeah, I guess I just, we're getting the benefit of it now, right? But that goes to show how much uh, I think we have been trying and pushing for something like this and how slow it has been to be picked up and really mobilized within PA education and within the PA community because I think we, I won't speak for all PAs, but I think the PA community at large is, is primarily white, right? And I think that if folks who are primarily white don't or aren't able to humanize folks who have different lived experiences, their peers, their patients, then there's probably less of an urgency to begin diversifying the provider pool, to begin diversifying the, the PA education pool. I think there's just something that over the last couple of years I've just seen galvanized a little bit differently. And it might be from the students, right? I think there might be something to be said for these students coming in and saying, yeah, I'm not going to be uncomfortable. I'm not going to be. I'm not going to stop speaking about Jedi stuff and specifically around George Floyd's murder and everything that's been happening, I think there has been a lot of conversation around the, the mental health and well-being of students and whether or not programs are doing enough around that, right? Um, when students are, are trying to both live in a world where their lives are being threatened on a regular basis and show up to take a clinical med exam. And how do you do both of those things at once when the brain is somewhere else, right? And are we doing a good job about supporting folks within that space or others that are similar? And so I think overall, we're getting there. We're inching. We're trying, right? There are initiatives. There's the standards are changing. I think that people are acknowledging the fact that health disparities and, and health equity are things that we really do have control over to some degree. We are part of a system that's inherently racist. We are part of a system that was built on the backs of black and brown folks being harmed <laughs> to get to the science and medicine breakthroughs that we have today, right? And so if we acknowledge all of that, then we also acknowledge the fact that we have to be working really hard within the system to undo and unlearn some of these things so that we show up authentically and genuinely, both for our patients and our peers and our students, because at the end of the day, we are here for a finite amount of time. 
right? And I love what I do. I would, if I had to choose it all over again, I would still be a PA, right? Even with all the mayhem of PA school. And I tell people all the time, this is like my, my tough love, my love letter, my radical love, um, to quote James Baldwin, for this, for this career and for this profession is I want to leave it better than I found it. And I think we all have to find that. It might not be around racial and, and ethnic equity, right? And that's okay. People have different drives. But that's the thing. If we're all doing that, we're all pushing, I think we can really make a difference. And I think that that is really the goal that I have for what I, the work I do within the program, uh, within the NSBPA, and just in general, I'm mentoring like 15 students on a regular, <laughs> on a regular basis. It's pre-PA students, PA students. Uh, the goal is just to get more of us to across that finish line because I know our patients and my older self will benefit from that, right? I want to be able to have a choice when I see a provider. If I want someone that looks like me or I perceive to have similarities, I want to have that choice right now that doesn't exist in a lot of healthcare systems. So again, long-winded, but that's where I think we are. I, I love it when you said that, you know, students, this is grassroots organizations, because I think that speaks to the type of people who want to become PAs. We've always said it. It's the, the reason why the profession is so amazing. It's because of the students going into it, right? Because they're the, the new front. They're the ones who are going to take us into the next generation. And to know that this compassion for their patients is also being seen for their fellow providers and their fellow students. And I think that's so encouraging because you know, if you have compassion before you get to PA school and, and you know, you, you recognize the worth of others, you know, I just think that that's so important to have, have that capacity to do, because that's really hard to teach, right? Especially at, at the graduate school level, right? You're that age, you either, you either learn that or yeah. maybe you haven't learned that. And so I, to anybody who's listening, like that, that is so important, the compassion you have. We always say like caring is literally half the battle when it comes to being a PA, right? And so caring yeah. about your fellow students, I think that's something that's not talked about a lot. I don't know if we've actually talked about it a lot either, but I think that that's really important. And I love the fact that so much of this impetus is coming from the students themselves are saying, yeah, we want you to feel safe. We want you to be part of the class. We want you to, you know, be happy to be here. We want all work to work together to make this world or our country, whatever it is, a better, healthier place. So let's all work together in school. And so I that, that was just very encouraging when you said that a lot of it's come from the students. They do all the things. I tell every student, uh, I've met so many wonderful student leaders in so many different avenues, and every time they talk to me, I'm like, I don't know how you're doing this right now, because I had to leave school, graduate, and then come back and have to have the mental bandwidth capacity to do all of this. So I give them so much so much credit and kudos, but kudos, but I think it really speaks to the fact that like they are they're ready to do this work. And I think that it's important to have folks like us on the other side to really support that work and give them those resources and, and listen to those hard questions that they're asking us. They're not always going to be easy. They ask me all the time, Catherine, there's one of you. How many other faculty members are there that aren't like black, brown, etc.? Why don't we have more? Why don't we have more students of color in the class, right? And those are hard questions, but they're fair game. And so I have to answer them and I have to be able to say we're doing this. We're working on equitable admissions processes. We've been uh, breaking down barriers and trying to figure out the best way to do that. We're researching whether that's going to work. We're working at ensuring that the folks that are coming in the door are going to be more representative of the student body and of the population in Pittsburgh and of the population of this country, right? But they are going to ask hard questions. Folks, <laughs> I'm not a, a mother, and yet my nephew asks really hard questions. And I, I, it's kind of the same. He's like, you know, why is that round? And I'm like, well, yeah. You know, I don't, I don't really know. And when the students are asking me really difficult, challenging questions, I take it as a learning experience, right? Because you have to see it through the lens that they're looking at it from, which is 
you are someone in power to some degree, right? That's what I perceive you to be. So how do we do it better? Why aren't we doing it better? And that really starts that conversation, but pull those students to the table. Ask them about their admissions process experience. Do they need a diversity panel within that? Do they want to have like a diversity panel, um, non-official kind of event before or after the admissions days that you have? Do you need to ensure that they understand the different parts of Pittsburgh and, and how Pittsburgh as a city is to live in as a black or brown person? Like, are these things that we should be doing? And I think there's real value to, to just listening and then bringing them to the table to be stakeholders because they are stakeholders. Their experience is going to directly impact other students who want to be at that table and want to be in that program. And so if we're doing a good job of listening, of, of really actualizing and, and bringing them in and, and hearing what they have to say, listening to what they have to say, um, and beginning to do some work around that with them, I think every program um, would be better would be better off. And I think a lot of programs do incorporate students, but it's really about listening to the hard truths and not just what you want to hear them say and working to to kind of unlearn or undo some of the old processes that, that maybe aren't working or aren't serving us anymore. For sure. So you've mentioned a few of the goals that you hope to see, but in a dream world, if dreams came true, what would you envision as the future for your organization? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, I'm one of those people that like stares down and sprints. I don't. <laughs> I tend to not look up. I, it, it takes me a bit to do that. But I would say for the organization, one day I hope for it to be a self-sustaining, uh, so that I don't manage an email address for it. Um, that would be great and lovely and all things. But I really hope that we can just keep expanding and growing at this kind of organic rate that doesn't overwhelm folks and doesn't make it not consistent with the core message, right? So I know that there's some organizations that explode, right? And they just get so many members and so many folks need those services and, and that there's value in that. But I want to make sure that we are growing in a sustainable way. I want to ensure that our mentorship program continues to have, or we continue to build it to be better each iteration and that those students are going to continue to get value and that they'll come back as PA students and then as practicing PAs to really support the work of those mentorship programs, of the virtual shadowing programs, as faculty talking and mentoring students, right? And so my hope is that we develop this community of not just black and brown folks, right? Because that's also not diversity, right? Um, when we're talking about diversity, I always say I want it to be representative of the world around us and that doesn't mean exclusion of white folks, right? Because I get that question a lot and I'm like, no, it's, it's not that, but it's it's decentralizing the white voice sometimes, right? Because we have to, to be able to hear the black and brown voices um, because we're so far and spread out and, and, and few between when it comes to PA, uh, the PA profession, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be there, right? That doesn't mean that, that we don't want that inclusivity and that true diversity within our ranks. And we've had really great success with that within the mentorship program. Um, and we tend to have folks who are from all different walks of life, all different racial and ethnic folks. And we're like, hey, we're, we're intentional, right? If we, if it's the NSPPA and we have four to six black and brown students, we're not gonna put you with two white mentors. We're gonna do our best to ensure that you at least have a one black mentor because there's, there's value there and we know that based on the survey data we're getting back, based on what the students are requesting. But that doesn't mean that they don't need to learn how to engage with people that look different than them, have different lived experiences than them. And that's the goal. That's the goal. Humanize the people around you, right? And because if you can do it in a mentorship group, if you can do it in PA programs, then you can do it with your patients and your peers. And if we can develop this humanity-driven healthcare system, 
overall, <laughs> that would be ideal. And my hope is that the NSBPA will be a microcosm of that, right? Which is just, you know, we're here to learn from each other. We're here to call each other into this conversation, a conversation that can be challenging and can make folks uncomfortable about race and privilege um, and, and equity and disparities. That can be a really cringy conversation. No one wants to be having that conversation from a place of, I've never been touched by those things, right? Because at that point, it's, it's a little bit icky. You don't really want to be on that side, but if we're having those conversations and you can listen to someone across from you who you met and worked with for a year on CASPA application things and you hear their lived experience and you can sit there as a friend and say, oh my gosh, well, we need to really change that. If you feel that, then we can really begin to make strides toward improving the system as a whole. When we don't have that and there's a disconnect and we just don't want to hear it, we don't want to be uncomfortable, but then I think we're going to continue in the same cycle that we're in, which is that we say there are disparities, we say we're working on DE&I, and we're doing those things kind of like this instead of really bringing everything to the table to have a conversation about how those intersect um, and how the system that we're in is inherently making it that way, right? We're not, we're not putting it on the individual. This is very much we have to unlearn lots of things. We all have to unlearn, right? Our biases, our prejudices, we have to do that for the sake of our patients, our peers, for us. Right? I want I want to be a good person. I want to show up as a good person. And my hope is really that the NSBPA embodies that and allows that to naturally occur with a little bit of you know structure um, and moving forward that, that that really continues. Yeah, I love when you said like, hey, no matter what type of diversity it is, like we still want you, we still need you. So we worked at a program that one of the big things was the VETA program. So they were very much promoting veterans who had, you know, worked for the country um, to come to PA school, especially like medics who had all this experience. And they paired them with an advisor that was active duty military or retired military. And the thought there was like, okay, they, they understand where you're coming from. And it seems like when you talk about race, as you said, it gets kind of cringy sometimes. But when you talk about growing up in a poor area or being, you know, uh, a military vet or something like that, it doesn't quite have the same connotation of things like that, but it's still like it's still diversity, right? It's still something that, that they can understand you. And so I, I just I love the fact that you said that you're like, hey, no matter we need everybody, we need every voice, no matter what you consider yourself. Because I do think it's important, and I don't know why. Like with the race thing, it just seems like people do get a little bit more like, oh, I don't know if I want to, you know, speak up to that. When it comes to people who grew up, you know, with different um, ethnic backgrounds or with different, you know, um, you know, parents went to college or first generation college or, or poor or wealthy or, or military or not or whatever, it just seems like those conversations are easier to have for some people. So I love the fact that you have this space where you're like, hey, we can all just sit around. Even if you don't want to participate, like we need you, we need your thoughts, we need your with this. So I absolutely love that. I don't know if you have any idea about this, but compared to like other medical professions, like specifically physicians, mm. I mean, how do you think like PAs are when it comes to minority students, ethnic minority students? Like, do you feel like we're on par with what physicians are they ahead of us or below us? Or if, I don't know if you have any stats on that. I'm just interested. Yeah, that's a great question. So yes, we're about the same based on numbers, right? So I think I believe that black and brown physicians, well, black specifically, if we're, we're delineating based on census data. So I believe black physicians are around 6%, and then obviously black PAs are around 3.3%. The interesting fact about black PAs is that we used to be in higher numbers before we started adding lots of barriers, like things like it needs to be a master's degree, you have to have shadowing hours, you need a GRE, right? Because it was really supposed to be that second career for folks who already had some experience in medicine and because it became more entry level, um, 
in quotes. Sorry, I keep forgetting that. <laughs> I'm not going to see my fingers. Um, entry level in quotes. Um, we got out of these barriers, and what that has really effectively done is push out folks who don't fit a very specific narrative, right? And I, I, I don't know if that's the case for physicians. I have some friends who are physicians, and I should probably text them and be like, help, I might have misquoted how many black physicians there are in this world, but I think it's around 6%. Um, and, and there are a lot of people doing work around that, too, because those numbers are still not adequate when you look at the fact that I think African-Americans make up around 13.4% of the U.S. population based on the most recent census data. So we're still not there across the board, and I, I'm not sure. I think PT, dentists, speech-language pathology, there are a bunch of other groups that are also just very, very dismal representation of underrepresented in medicine minorities as well. Wow. Okay, because, you know, there's PA profession, I wouldn't say it's like new, you know, Duke started it a long time ago, but it's newly well-known, I guess, <laughs> and so I was just interested to see where we are compared to, like, physician, which has been, you know, they've been working working on this problem for a long time, so sometimes if you can see what have worked in other professions, you can sort of model that, but it wouldn't surprise me if the PA profession kind of leapt over that um, with some of the work being done. I mean, you know, no one knows what the future holds, but so yeah. I just, that was just, just yeah. interested in, in how, because I know they've been talking about it for a long time too, but what the action is, I'm not, you know, I don't know, I'm not in that space. Yeah, I'm, I'm not intimately familiar with the University of Pittsburgh's med school. I know they have a racism in medicine course now. I know several of my friends have gone through that program and really had wonderful things to say about some of the conversations that they were having. So that's all anecdotal, of course, I don't have anything more broad than that. But I did want to just touch base on the intersectionality piece that you mentioned, which is so accurate, right? Diversity of all different types is awesome and great. And also all of many of those things can exist within this one person and one lived experience. And so it's just so key to ensure that we are being intentional about promoting this idea of intersectionality because there are just so many ways that folks can show up or not show up and you would have no idea that these different um, you know, diverse lived experiences, diverse social classes or um, social groups and characteristics exist within one person. And so there's just so much around that. I also worked for the VA for those three and a half years in, in internal medicine on that unit. And so uh, there's something near and dear to me about working with uh, the veteran population. And it's, yeah, that was a wonderful experience. So that was great to hear. I've not heard of that program, but that's, we have students who are veterans and who ask all the time, how are we going to do X, Y, or Z with veterans? And so we have a VA hospital down the street. I mean, it should be a pretty easy ask to begin pulling in mentors from those spaces or from some of the other more active duty or National Guard kind of spaces that are, that are in that same area. So thank you for that. That was a great um, idea that I'll have to take back if you don't mind. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. Catherine, this has been such a wonderful conversation. Before we get to the last and best question, where can our listeners find you? Oh, great question. So listeners can find me as a person um, at underscore that girl cat on Instagram, or they can find me with the NSBPA at the NSBPA on all social medias, um, or the NSBPA at gmail.com, which is our email, or NSBPA.org. No the just nsbpa.org for our website. So only slightly complicated, but also I answer lots of the emails. So if you email the NSBPA, I will likely respond. Our website has job postings and resources and 
um, information about upcoming virtual shadowing sessions and task book prep panels, all of the things are on there, things that I probably am forgetting right now, but they exist on the site, so in our LinkedIn. <laughs> so that's where they are, social media too, yeah, all the social medias. And listeners, we will post all of those in the episode notes below. And our last and final and best question is, who is Catherine when the white coat comes off? Oh, goodness. Usually trying to take a nap, but most of the time <laughs> not taking a nap, teaching yoga, reading, going to Orange Theory with my sister, hanging out with my two-year-old nephew, hanging out with my entire family. I just moved back to Ohio after 11 years in Pittsburgh to be near them. So that is who <laughs> the true Catherine is behind the Zoom screen. And, um, you know, I don't wear a white coat anymore because I work in academia most days, but... <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you, Catherine, again for spending your time with us. This is such a great topic to be aware of, not only in PA school, but as a pre-PA student, too, because as we know, the earlier and earlier interventions we make, the bigger difference it has in the long run. So thank you so much to you, to organization, to everything you're doing, just to further the lives of people, to humanize people, to help students, you know, figure out um, how they're going to spend the rest of their life and what, they're gonna, what kind of impact they're going to make on the world. So thank you again for, for spending this time with us. Of course. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Where the White Coats Come Off podcast, and thank you for letting us be a part of your journey to PA school. Before we go, we want to shout out to all the reapplicants and the totally overwhelmed applicants. Friends, we see you, and we want to make sure you know what is available for you when you are ready to put together your most competitive application with help from professors who have years of experience in PA admissions. We have a private coaching program where we walk you through every single step of putting together your most competitive rock star PA school application. Instead of feeling discouraged, overwhelmed, stressed, or at a loss, we are going to be by your side the entire way, from starting from scratch to having an outstanding application. This package includes it all, program matching, private Zoom sessions, personal statement assistance and editing, CASPA experience details and app editing, mock interview, supplemental application editing, virtual shadowing, so much more, all the things. Let's go. Let's do this together. We are so passionate about your future as a PA. Sign up in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and we will catch you at the next episode.